Good morning, everyone. If you're visiting, if you're visiting, I'm Scott. I'm the pastor at Adventure, and today I'm going to talk about how to how to live a life without regrets. How should we live, really? And Americans, if you're like me, you have regrets. Uh, here are what uh, the Huffington Post says are our top five regrets. Uh, the first is missing out on an investment opportunity. How many of you were told by someone close to you in 2006 it'd be a good time to sell your house and cash out? Yeah, I, I was told the same thing. I was like, come on. Uh, uh, turning down a job offer. You get a job offer, seems a little overwhelming. You're, it's huge professional development opportunity. Maybe it requires a move uh, to Hawaii and you don't like the sand and you decide, nah. Uh, not studying harder. Next slide. Uh, unresolved family feud. You got a family issue and you just talk about it all the time and you keep talking about it and there's no resolution. Yeah, waste of time. Waste of time. And then finally, a romantic relationship. I'm not talking about the marriage you're in now. I'm talking about the other ones. The other one. It was a waste of time, right? Yeah, you learn a few things and uh, you, you make certain you don't repeat. The title of today's message is Don't Waste Your Life. Don't waste your life. And if you're not going to waste your life, how do you live a life without regrets? And I'm in a, the fourth message or fifth message of a series from the last of 12 letters written by the most prolific writer of Scripture in the first century, the Apostle Paul. And he is writing from the Mamertine prison, which you can visit to this day in Rome, Italy, He's writing to his apprentice, Timothy, who's a millennial. He's a young guy who understands that life is short, that you got to play hard. By the way, have you seen that Xbox commercial? It's kind of cool. Child is born. Child is born and is immediately projected out of the maternity ward into the sky. The child is traveling at the speed of sound. The child becomes a, a student, a young adult, a senior, and then his life ends very quickly as he's projected down into the earth, into a casket, and it's over. Play hard. Play more. Get your Xbox controller out. That was for the millennials. Uh, it's that life is short, and millennials get that. It's very, very fast. They have FOMO, uh, millennials. They don't want to miss out, fear of missing out, and so they're trying to be, uh, trying to seize every opportunity so that they don't have uh, any regrets. And the author of our letter is writing to someone who's in their 20s, who's in their 30s. He's a young guy, and he's facing difficulty. Tell me this isn't difficulty. You're in your 20s or 30s. You've been following this leader named Paul who says he met Jesus, and he's been teaching throughout the Roman Empire the, the importance that Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected from the dead, and he is the living God, the judge that the whole earth is accountable to. You're teaching this in a polytheistic world that worships many gods, and in a world that says Caesar is Lord, and you're telling everyone, no, it's not Caesar, it's Jesus. And at this time that the letter's written, AD 64 to AD 68, Nero is emperor, and he's literally... He's literally abducting Christians uh, that he's already accused of burning Rome. You've heard that reference. And he's burning Christians in his court just to keep it illuminated. This is the era. 
And Timothy is Paul's young apprentice. They've traveled for about three or four years together. They met in Iconium, where Paul was left for dead because he was stoned. And Paul's saying to Timothy, hey, Timothy, you're it. I need you to do this. This is, I need you to lead here. I'm at my departure gate. And what he meant was not, he was catching a Southwest airline flight uh, after presenting the gospel to the highest tribunal in the Roman Empire in Rome, over which Nero would preside. And he's going to testify that he believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that all mankind will be accountable to him someday. And he knows that's going to be my last sentence. (laughs) It's going to be over. And it was. He was uh, executed on a road outside of Rome beheaded. And uh, he's telling Timothy, Timothy, I need to depend upon you. There's a, there's a teaching that comes from Moses that's recorded in the Psalms that helps us think about how we should live. And it's this particular nugget that is, quote, that's, that is a quotation from Moses, and it's this. Teach us to number our days so that we might be wise. Number our days. Number them. He says in this chapter, uh, Psalm 90, he says that some of us may live to be 60 or 70, maybe 80, but number your days because it's going by very fast. So in this life, and I know there are some millennials in here like Timothy who aren't thinking about, you know, perhaps how you're going to maximize your time on earth, but let's Let's do a real mature thing together, and let's look at three different lifestyle habits that will ensure, from the Apostle Paul, that we're maximizing our time here on earth, because it's going fast. I, I just realized I'm, I'm going to be 50 in October, 50 years old. I know I look 25, but here's the deal. <laughs> I, I've, I've decided I'm 50 now. Forget putting this off till, just get it over. I'm 50. I'm 50. I'm half a century old. And uh, I'm thinking, how much longer do I get to do this life? I want to maximize it. Uh, you, know, it you know the old saying, in what life are you going to go all out? This one. <laughs> and so with that, I want to read to you the last perhaps 150 or 200 words written by the most influential man besides Jesus in the first century. And I hope I'll answer the question, how should we live? It's a Francis Schaeffer question. How then shall we live? And I hope you walk out of here thinking, you know what? There's some stuff I've been focused on. Don't matter. There's some stuff that I need to own. It really matters. Let's look. 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you have a Bible, open it up. And I'm going to read the first six verses. Uh, firstly, here it is. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says, check this out. I, I mentioned the Roman tribunal over which Nero presided, check this tribunal that he opens up with, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. Who will judge the living and the dead? Christ Jesus. Who is the judge? Christ Jesus. That's important to establish. It's not the Pope. It's not the priest. It's not Pastor Scott, praise the Lord. He might get a whooping in heaven. It's it's Jesus Christ. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, 
I give you this charge to Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. And here's how you do it. With great patience and careful instruction. Preach the word. What I want to suggest to you first today, the first value for you to own is live with earthly conviction that will develop into a passion for the truth. And we live in a culture that denies truth. We live in a culture that says there is no truth. Truth is what you think it is. It reminds me of the story I read about in San Antonio, Texas, where a child was left in a car. An aunt and mother accidentally locked an infant in a car in a 100-degree day. And the child was turning purple. That's what the story said. I, don't, I can't imagine that. And foaming at the mouth. The aunt and mother were trying to work a, uh, a coat hanger to unlock the door and save the baby's life. A truck driver pulled up in that area, saw the situation, went to his cargo rack, brought out a sledgehammer, crashed the back window without affecting the baby, got in and saved the baby's life. Incredible hero, right? Fred Ariallo was his name. The mother came up to him and said, you just smashed the window of my car. You're going to pay for that. Those are the earthly values that we have. Am I not right? Does that not describe how some people view things? More important than human life. And so I want to make certain that our values come from heaven, that they come from the gospel. Here's the deal. We all have a lot of opinions about what's happening in our viral society. I have opinions. But my principles, I hold opinions. But my principles hold me. I hold opinions about what's going on out there, right? I don't talk about them here. But I'll talk about my principles that have their origin in the gospel. Because those, those principles hold me. I hold opinions, but my principles hold me. And I want to make certain my principles are from the gospel. Now, how do you, the exhortation to Timothy is that he's to preach the gospel. He's a town crier. It's a first century word for some good news. It's great news. It's life changing. Paul's telling Timothy, you're to preach the word. Don't back down on the word. We know anecdotally that Timothy, Timothy's martyrdom was the result of him preaching against idolatry the worship of idols in Ephesus, they dragged him away and beat him up and killed him. In his, after 30 years, he was committed. But this idea of preaching the word is a little overwhelming to us. If I tell you, go preach the word, and when you go have breakfast this morning at IHOP or Bella Brew or, or lunch at Wendy's, go preach the word. You know, you're, you, we don't want you to stand up and start preaching the word. That's how to lose friends and turn people off and make them think you're like every other weird Christian. I'm not sitting down right now. There's no chair here. Uh, How do we preach the word? Here's how we preach the word. Ready? First thing we do is self-preach. First thing we do is let the word preach to us. We let the word correct us. And the word is powerful. The word of God comes from heaven. You let it speak to you. You know, and you let it, and I think when, when the word speaks to us, it's, 
It's gentle. It's encouraging. Sometimes it hurts a little bit. Jesus wasn't a yeller. He was gentle. He was humble. The Word can, can although be uncomfortable, it can speak to us in a way where we'll really listen. First, let the Word preach to you. Are you a hearer of the Word that also obeys the Word? Don't merely be hearers of the Word. Be ye doers of the Word. If you're a doer of the Word, that's the blessing. The blessing isn't in just hearing the Word. The blessing is in doing, says Jesus' brother James. How do we preach the Word? Well, first we let the Word preach to us. You develop an appetite for the Word of God. We've challenged you this year. Spend the first 15 minutes of your day giving it to Jesus. Listen to five minutes of praise music. Take five minutes and read some of the Word of God. Genesis through Revelation, something in there. If you don't know where to start, start in the Gospel of Mark or the Psalms or Proverbs. Don't start in Numbers. It'll turn you off. And then end with uh, praise music. Excuse me, end with giving thanks. Write it down in a journal, giving thanks. It'll start your day right every day. How do you preach? You let the Word preach to you first. You let the Word grow you. And then, then, when you are in a position and you sense God's Spirit is prompting you to speak up about the Word, to preach the Word to somebody else, then you share the Word with gentleness, seasoned as it were with salt, in love. And I, I can always kind of know when I think God's Spirit is compelling me to say something because it's difficult. When I think God's Spirit is really saying, you need to say something, I don't typically want to. When I want to, I think that's probably not the Spirit. <laughs> when, I, when I'm quick to speak and, and uh, slow to think it out, I think uh, that was not, I could have done that better. What does James, Jesus' brother, also say? Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. I would, I would apply that to actually sharing the Word of God. Be quick, be quick to listen to the Word of God. Be slow about how you distribute it. Be careful. Wait for the right time. And the most powerful story that you have from the Word of God is your story. It's the best, to use a Christian evidence term, it's the best apologetic in the globe. The best defense for the gospel is your story. You share how Jesus touched you. First way we ensure we're living our life well is make God's word a priority in your life. Is it a priority in your life? Do you, are you open to hearing the word? I may have already shared this with you, but did I tell you that I was corrected this week? Did I share that this morning? I got corrected this week by, by someone I love who just said, I need to share something with you. It's difficult for me to share it. But I want to talk to you about something that you did. And of course, I was enjoying good music on I-80, thinking everything's great. And I got to hear, there's a little area of growth for me. <laughs> there's a whole lot more, but this one was just seen. And I needed that so much. I'm so glad that this person spoke to me what I needed to hear. I want us all to be approachable by the Word of God. Be approachable. Uh, have the language of David. God, see, this is David who had a, a man after God's own heart. See if there's anything in me. First, 
Develop earthly convictions that will develop a passion for truth in your life. Here's why. The truth, the word of God, will last forever. Jesus said, not an iota of this word will ever go away. This will always last, the word of God. Secondly, pursue an eternal perspective. Because an eternal perspective will give you a marathon mindset. Look at this marathon mindset Paul had. And he's using running terms and a little wrestling term for those that have a wrestling background. Here it is, verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. That's a Hebrew libation sacrifice term. And the time for my departure is near. That word departure means my mooring out. I'm about to moor out into the Mediterranean. I've fought the, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the... He followed the path God had him on. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, like the crown that was given at an Isthmus game or an Olympic game. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, again, who's the judge? There is a judge, isn't there? It's the Lord Jesus. He's qualified to judge because he lived in a human body. He was qualified to do that because he experienced all the temptation and difficulty we do and more and conquered it without sin will award me on that day. When, when an athlete won at an Isthmus game or an Olympic game, he not only received that very inexpensive wreath, but in some small towns, they would literally take down a city wall for the first time and create a new gate in their city so that that athlete could come through. That's how they would celebrate him. (laughs) Paul's excited about this day in his life. And then he says this, not only am I excited about this, but everyone else who's longed for his appearing. If you're a first century Christian, and Nero, and Roman senators, and governors, and Roman centurions are out trying to arrest and judge Christians, you're looking forward to this day, aren't you? The Lord's appearing. Not only me, but also all who long for his appearing. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Here's the challenge that we have. We've been given this promise of this long, long eternal life. First comes death, then comes judgment where we stand before Jesus Christ someday. And for those that are longing for his appearing and love Jesus Christ, Jesus does not come back for judgment. We're not going to get in trouble when Jesus comes back. Isn't that great? It's good for me. And the scripture says that we'll live into the Ionos and the Ionos, into the ages and the ages. Time never stops. But if we're honest with ourselves, all of our focus is not on the time that we're going to get in the future. I mean, if you really believe that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and said, I go to build a house so that where I am, you might be also forever and ever. If you really believe that, then you embrace the idea that we will live forever and ever and ever. And with that kind of hope, you, like a first century Christian, would allow your children or your extended family members to confess Jesus Christ publicly and lose their life. Are you with me? Because you believe. 
But the temptation for us, we Americans, two millennia later, is put all of our focus on the short 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of our red space right there. All our focus. In fact, if you think about it, if you're honest like me sometimes, you, you think, okay, you're born, you get the education you need, you get the job. Your focus is on maybe we do that, and I'm talking about my home only, so don't, I'm not preaching to you here. I'm talking, we're talking about maybe a kitchen remodel someday, maybe a trip to Southern California this summer. Focus is there, trying to save right now so we can retire someday. All the focus is really, for, and this is for a 40-something, or 50, it, all the focus is, what's these last 10 years going to be like? How healthy am I going to be? Am I going to be able to run when I'm 60? Am I going to be able to get that ring for Melissa at our 30th? It's all there. Some of you might be thinking, am I going to, how long am I going to be caring for my spouse? My spouse can be caring for me. Young people, you might be thinking, sheesh, I'm, I'm right there. What are we talking about? <laughs> Well, let me ask you, what, uh, are you going to trust God to make certain you, you married the right person so that these years are incredible, like I'm enjoying? Are you going to take care of your body during these years so you can enjoy them? But what I want to back up and say, are we going to realize that there's not a lot of space there? There's a whole lot more space coming. Now, you might think this is a little, a little childish. Unless you believe 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's not childish. This is the gospel. That this life we have, it's just, a, it's just red space. That there's life coming that lasts forever and ever. And I remember when I was a kid, I was looking at Westmont College. I remember I was in a dorm room. And I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, but I, I prayed a prayer. I said, God, what do you want me to do? <laughs> really, it was like, God, what do you want me to do with my red space? I know I have some abilities in some areas. I didn't have the, the engineer mind that some of my family had. Um, I didn't know what to do. And it's funny, I really felt like Jesus just said, all right, hang on. This is the direction we're going. And I wonder if there's one or more of you here that needs to have that kind of conversation with God, where you say, God, you, you bless me, you've given me opportunity. What do you want me to do? And maybe the first thing he's going to say is do something here. I need you to address that relationship because you're, you're distracting you. It's become an addiction. Or I need you to address those habits because it's distracting you. It's become an addiction. You say it's not, but you can't get away with it. You're doing it every week. That's called an addiction. Uh, I need you to address these, these dysfunctional relationships. You can't forgive people. You need to address those. Maybe he'll say that. But then maybe he'll say, I'm going to send you someplace. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on an adventure so that this space influences this space. There are people that will be in this space that you influenced in this space. I challenge you right now, it's with this prayer up, just, I challenge you to just whisper to God right now, God, what do you want me to do with my red space?
right from where you're seated. Let's just have a moment here right now. Heavenly Father, we're reading the words that you gave to Paul about life now under in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and who will come again and show his coming kingdom. Would your spirit please just open our hearts right now to understand and discern personally what you want us to do with our red space. And I just ask the congregation you've given me a chance to serve to ask this question right from where you're seated. God, what do you want me to do with my red space? Ask him right now. What do you want me to do with my red space? And I challenge you from where you're seated, just say, God, lead me. I'll follow you. I'll follow your son, Jesus, wherever. And the final word I'd say is ask God, say, give me the grace to do it. I need the strength because I don't even want to. Amen. That's where it starts, a willingness to say, God, what do you want me to do? Let me tell you something else that sticks out in this chapter. The, the first, of course, was, hey, uh, uh, s- grab onto some core values, the word of God that will, de- will develop earthly conviction, that will develop a passion, of tr- passion for truth in your life. Make a commitment to let the word correct you. Be correctable so that you can gently help others. With the word of God, it lasts forever. It's just so important. Secondly, is you maintain an eternal perspective like we talked about here. And an eternal perspective will help you kind of zoom out and have a better perspective on what's going on in your life now. And sometimes I, I struggle with that space. I want to maximize that space, but my focus needs to be on this space more. Set your eyes on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And then lastly, pursue enduring relationships. This is my favorite part. Pursue enduring relationships because if you have them, it creates legacy. Paul had incredible relationships. Can we just show the screen of all the people he's going to list at the end of this chapter? Look at them all. There's Luke's up there, the physician he met in Philippi. Mark's up there who was on his first missionary journey who failed him and yet they reconciled. Uh, Titus is up there who led the church in Crete. Priscilla and Aquila who coached Alexander, uh, they, uh, they're on that list. And then he, I love how he summarizes it, and all the brothers and sisters. Oh, when he says brothers and sisters, he means brothers and sisters. Seriously. Oh, I mean, it's family. When I went to college, I've told you before, in the Midwest, they used to call one another brother. And it was weird. Hi, brother. I'm like, hey, we're not related. Why are you saying that? They loved me. Surreal moment. Yeah, That's what they had here. Are you pursuing surreal relationships like that? Look at this relationship I saw featured in this triathlon of these two brothers. Check this out. It's the end of a race. And one brother is winning the race. The other brothers in third place. Look, look what happens. Turn the volume up for me. This athlete's really struggling. He's, he's about to collapse. He's the winner, actually. 
I don't even know if that is allowed. I, you know this what? is incredible. I, I don't think he cares if it's allowed well, or that not. That is the most incredible thing I have ever seen in a triathlon. Alistair Brownlee is trying to get his brother across the line. Coming down, the two Brownleys, it'll be Richard Murray under the blue carpet in just a few seconds. This is absolutely insane. Here comes Richard Murray. The two Brownleys are trying desperately to get across the line. Oh, my God. Johnny Brownlee in second. It will be third across the line. Alistair Brownlee. And then can Mario Mola be fourth? That is the most insane last few meters. Please show me the path picture. Just won the most insane final two minutes of racing I've ever seen in triathlon. And whether that was legal or not yeah. between the Brownleys. That is it the most it brotherly thing. Brotherly love. That was what it was. Oh, brotherly right. love. Yeah, obviously a natural human reaction to my brother, but to be honest, as I said, uh, anyone in that position, I would have done the same thing. It's... Uh, it is dangerous for someone to conk out okay from the finish line, and uh, as I said, I've been in that position before, and it, it, you know, it's as close to death as you're going to be in sport, I think. Listen to Paul's words in light of that kind of brotherly love. Listen to this. Paul, writing from prison, according to scholars, days or weeks away from execution. This is what he writes. Do your best to come to me quickly. It's a 1,200-mile trip for Timothy. Because Demas, one of his co-workers, loved this world. He deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke, Dr. Luke, the physician, is with me. Get Mark and bring him with me because he's helpful in my ministry. You know he appreciated reading that. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. When you're struggling, sometimes you just want to be warm. You, want, you need a Bible and you need a friend. Alexander, the metal worker, he did a great deal of harm to me. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. That's not good. You don't want that said about you. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, he's referring to his trial. No one came to my side. Feel alone? Did you hear that? You feel alone? At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Boy, that's the kind of friend you want. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. That's a reference to the emperor. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Tromphus sick at Miletus. Even Paul couldn't heal him. Not everyone gets healed. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. Finally, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. The last words of a dying man, the Apostle Paul, are grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. In summary, how should we live? It's a tight little package here, but here's how we live. 
From Him came grace. To Him goes all the glory. All the glory. He gave us the grace, the generosity, to die a substitutionary death on the cross. But He also gave us the grace, the charis of His Spirit to give us gifts. And, and not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, which we unwrapped a few weeks ago, to help us fulfill the calling we have in our red space. And what's the purpose of that calling? There's just one. So that Jesus Christ will get all the glory in this red space now and in the space to come. What are you doing with your red space? that will give Jesus glory long-term. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your son Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead, and we look forward to his appearing. And we just ask you to help us answer the question, what do you want us to do with our red space? In Jesus' name, amen.